and then just kind of getting your contractor involved early uh, if you can and just uh, getting that, I guess what we would call it is like a three-legged stool. Like you have your owner, your designer, your contractor. The sooner you can get that three-legged stool set, the better it is overall for everyone. You're listening to Small Minded, the podcast that believes being small is a good thing because small steps lead to big impact, small towns have a big heart, and small businesses play a big role in our modern way of life. I'm your host, Molly Knuth, and here at Small Minded, we share stories and strategies to help small towns and small businesses flourish. Here's to a life well-lived, being small-minded. Welcome to another episode of the Small Minded Podcast. In today's episode, we have a very special guest. Not only is he involved with this ongoing series of episodes that revolve around TLC, the Learning Center Project in Charles City, Iowa, but also this person who comes in from the construction angle on the project is only 23 years old. And as a young man, he does have some really great life experience to bring to the table in his role as a construction manager at Woodruff Construction in the state of Iowa. Now, a construction manager, as our guest Will McAllister explains, comes in to help a project meet their goals as far as budget, schedule, and secure materials. And not just in the TLC project, but in other commercial builds in his experience, Will has brought his own take, his small town background, his variety of educational experiences, and his time as a guy on staff of a very small little construction company all the way up to where he's at today in the office at Woodruff, he can bring all of that together to help advise, vision, and ultimately build a successful project. So in today's episode, I hope you get a lot of takeaways about how young kids, he's a kid in my eyes, but young kids can accomplish so much when we give them the credit and the responsibility and the opportunity to do these things. And with his experience and with his drive and motivation, particularly in this TLC project, it has helped that project thrive. So without further ado, we are going to talk this week with Will McAllister of Woodruff Construction. Will, it's so nice to have you here on the podcast this week. Thank you so much for joining us. Well, thanks for having me. This will be a fun one to have. Uh, For listeners who are not familiar with who Will McAllister is, uh, he is part of the Woodruff construction team. And as you guys know, um, following along small-minded podcast this month, he was involved in that TLC learning center project that we covered a couple of weeks back. And we want to bring him in and talk about his role in this project and also the role of construction in small towns and communities. So Will why don't you go about telling us a little bit more about who you are and then maybe a little bit more about your role at Woodruff. Okay. Yeah. Um, so I guess to start off here, I'm 23. I graduated from the University of Northern Iowa with a construction management major. Before that, I went to Kirkwood Community College in Cedar Rapids and got my two years in construction management. And then so while I was at Kirkwood is when I first met 
the guys at Woodruff. Um, they have locations throughout the state of Iowa, um, Fort Dodge, Ames, Iowa City, and Waterloo. So when I was at Kirkwood and looking for an internship, I ran to the guys at a career fair um, and really liked the company, uh, what they stood for. They're very family-oriented company um, and care about their employees and the community and stuff like that. And it was all things that I really related to and wanted to see in a company that I was going to work for. So that's kind of how it started. I started working there as a field intern back when I was 19, I believe. So I'll be going on four years now. So just doing part-time stuff when I was at Kirkwood um, in the field. And then like six months into that, I let them know that I kind of wanted to do more office-related things because that's where I wanted to end up as like a project manager. And so they were open to that and they uh, had an opportunity. So I ended up stepping into the office at that point. And then from there, finished my degree and went to UNI to get a four-year degree in construction management. And then just was super easy transition up to the Waterloo office, um, working with the guys up here. And then just worked for them part-time as I was doing schoolwork. And uh, like I said, in May, just started working full-time with Woodruff as a project manager and doing that type of thing. I guess, do you want me to dive into like what project managers do and that type of thing too, or? Yeah. Why don't you just define like the role of a project manager in an organization like yours? And maybe for people who are familiar with like local small businesses, carpenters and contractors, what sets a project manager apart? Gotcha. So yeah, as a project manager, I'm in control of a project in general, you could say. So that's related to schedule, um, just staying on top of that with subs, material, um, anything really involving schedule, uh, budget. Uh, so a lot of times, I guess at Woodruff too, we bid and uh, put budgets together, estimates together for the projects that we eventually run. So from the estimate, and then I see that those dollars basically through the project and kind of keep track of those as the project continues. And it's, just like a lot of tracking and keeping on top of things, I guess, as a project manager. I would guess that at right now where we're at in 2022, like your job has to be super relaxing. Oh, super. Yeah. No, there's absolutely <laughs> nothing going wrong right now. And everything just gets, gets to the job site right on time. And uh, there's definitely so many people out there that want to do construction. It just makes it so easy. So, Oh my gosh. It must be so nice to work in a stress-free environment where things just go the way you plan. Right. Yeah. <laughs> what are some of the challenges that you've been up against recently in projects that you've been involved in? So I guess just to wrap this into the TLC project, there's a couple big ones that we got going on right now. One is for the HVAC, so heating and cooling system. There is a rooftop unit that controls the air and ventilation for each room, each classroom. So infants, ones, twos, threes, and fours. Each one of those rooms has its own unit. Those units are out until August. And when we bid the job and we're going through that initial process of it, we were told May, June, which fit right in with our schedule. And then right when we started getting into the project, we got a call from the manufacturer on it and said, we can't meet that deadline. And so now we're sitting months out past when it was supposed to be. And after the project will be completed otherwise. But that does give issues to TLC because now they're not able to move in and get their certificate of occupancy for the building um, and not able to move in and utilize the space until uh, they get the proper unit for that. So I guess that's a big one. And then the other one too is wood doors, something that you really typically wouldn't see 
as being an issue, but those are 20 weeks out, um, which again puts us like right past the project deadline of uh, end of May is what we were shooting for. And then so that 20 weeks at the time of the order put us for those doors mid-June. So it's just one of those things we'll have to come back after the project is majority done, come back and install doors. So working a little bit out of your typical schedule of events just to mm -hmm. accommodate some of these delayed shipping times. Right. And that's, you know, just something that's, uh, I wouldn't say it's typical for it to be that far out, but just one of the things as a project manager that is typical to juggle, I guess, um, just meeting lead times and making sure that you're staying on top of things as much as possible. But COVID's made that really hard and uh, just the after effects of that has made it almost impossible to track and keep things rolling as they need to. So that's when it's nice to have someone like yourself and your team on board, I'd imagine. So if somebody was trying to do this on their own or locally with just like, I know that a lot of these kind of projects yeah. um, may get accomplished through like in-kind donations and stuff, but this is where it's nice to have someone like a project manager who has experience, who has knowledge of these schedules and limitations on your team to help get things done, I'd imagine. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's two points I'd like to make there. So with the size of company that Woodruff is, I would say we're kind of right in the middle of being a, I, I would call us a medium sized contractor. Like obviously there's uh national nationally known companies uh, doing the same types of work, maybe on the larger scale, talking millions of dollars. And then there's also your local guy that is doing things, you know, locally and uh, just like around their town. So one thing, I guess it helps to have that if you're a small contractor and you're doing this type of project, you know, you might have an owner that is doing the scheduling for the lead times and stuff like that. And then also being on site and taking care of site issues, but not fires there. But then also, you know, depending on the size of the company, again, they might also be doing the install work too. So that's where like a smaller company you know, might have the struggles there and a larger company might not even look at a project like the size of TLC and we're, we're kind of hitting that right in the middle ground where we have the people in place to make it as smooth of a process as possible. I guess that's really what I wanted to hit on there. Uh, number two, though, is just, I guess, how Woodruff puts their people in place to keep things rolling along. We're really proud about putting schedules together and uh, the people we have. So I would say like a project manager in my role would be a lead person to keep track of these things. And then we also have a site superintendent that takes care of the field side of things, uh, keeping subcontractors on the job site or giving them the call like a week or two weeks in advance. And then we also have like crew leads and stuff that are keeping track of our field staff too. So we have, we have levels, I guess, is what I'm trying to get at that helps ease the burden off of one person and kind of spreads it out over a couple. And then uh, just makes that process again, a little bit better and a little bit smoother. That's awesome. Cause throughout this series that we've had over the past few weeks, one of the big takeaways for people who are listening that might want to achieve some of these bigger goals in their own communities is making sure that you have the right players and the right teams in place to help you see this through. Because like you said, you need to have those people who are your planners up front and helping you forecast for budget, for schedule, keeping everything on track. But you also need to have those people who can come in and be your implementers at various points because throughout a long-term project, such as the TLC project that we've been hearing about, and we'll come back to in a little bit as well. But when you have a long-term project, there's so much excitement at the beginning of it. But as you get into more of these like hurdles and challenges, 
it's important to have those people, like you've mentioned about the various levels, bringing in those right people at the right times to keep it going. Cause the motivation might not always be there, but having a structure and a process. And it sounds like Woodruff really helps these key projects get done by bringing in your people at certain times so that you can see this through from beginning to end. Yeah, exactly. So, Will, I want to ask a little bit more about um, Woodruff sounds like it's amazing that you came across this company just at a college career fair, because it sounds like it's a really good fit for you personally. So when you went to that career fair, sorry, I'm going back into like personal, I promise listener, this is all going to tie back in. But when you went to that career fair, did you know that you were going to look for a construction job? Were you just going to see like what's out there and available? Or were you like, you knew going in that you were drawn to something in this industry? To answer that question, I would have to go back more to like what I started doing. You know, I feel like it's pretty typical for a high school kid to start doing construction in the summer to make a few extra bucks. So I guess I started doing that when I was 16 and working for a contractor that was local and through a family connection. And I really like construction and seeing, you know, things get built right in front of your eyes and being a part of that. So I always knew I wanted to do that. But then when I started going to college, I thought the closest route I could do to be in construction, but not necessarily be putting work in place and still being involved and seeing the project be built was a civil engineer or a structural engineer. So that's my first college experience, I guess, as I was going for structural engineering um, and started that at the University of Iowa, ended up not liking it and only being there for a semester. And that's when I transferred to Kirkwood after finding out about construction management. So once I found out about construction management, that I knew that was going to be a good fit because it was exactly what I was looking for with being right along with the construction. I get to go to projects and see all these different things happening, I'm typically out there about once a week, checking things out. But I also have, you know, more of like an office position that I wanted. So it really fit that medium ground that I was looking for. I guess going back to that career fair, though, I wasn't necessarily looking. I didn't know about Woodruff until that career fair. Um, It was just something that kind of happened as I was walking around talking to all the contractors that were there. And um, they're one that just really stuck out. I think this is so interesting to hear about your journey, like, because going from like, I know just about personally, so I didn't want to lead with this, but Will's my brother. And so um, knowing that you grew up in a small town, went to the big city of Iowa city for school, and then decided to make that change to like a two-year community college setting. I think that's so interesting because it allowed you to see a variety of different things that I would guess informs what you do today. You were able to see the small town setting and how a one-man crew or a small crew of construction workers does a job. You went mm-hmm. to Iowa city and you were able to see that civil engineering that you had like in your head. And then when you saw it, you were like, eh, maybe not. And then you were able to transition into construction management via Kirkwood, which I know exposed you to a lot of opportunities and learning more about it. So I think that's such a cool trajectory because, you know, for a lot of people, they don't get a chance to see all of those different scenarios at such a young age, like you did. And I think it really has positioned you well today to work on this TLC project in particular, because you have experience, even though you're at a young age and you can really bring what you've seen and what you know into this project in Charles city. Mm. Yeah. Um, just kind of add on to that too. Like I always liked the small town aspect of the town we grew up in in Cascade. 
and always knew I wanted to kind of end up going back to a small town. And that was one thing that Woodruff was pretty big on too. Uh, it's one of their metrics is like, how many people did we serve? Um, I think I can't remember offhand what we, how many people we serve, but really what it does is it calculates all the different towns that we were in. We do a lot of wastewater treatment plants and work in that, that aspect of construction too. So TLC, I guess, is one project that is like super involved with the community up in Charles City. And it's really cool to see like how, how the town relates back to the project and how it's all intertwined. Um, and I guess just coming from a small town, it's um, just been really, really cool to be a part of that and also kind of help things out. And it's, uh, I guess, just one thing that I've always just liked, like doing and like talking about with small town stuff. And I know you do too. So I thought this would be a good project to kind of work on together, I guess, and bring yeah. some light through. So did you have like when, I don't, I'm not sure of the way that you're introduced to jobs and you get involved particularly on specific job site, but with the TLC project in particular, were you introduced to it as more of a, hey, Will, come in and look at this project, give us some ideas, or did you see it come across the desk and be like, this is something I'm really drawn to? Can you give us a little bit of insight into how that came about? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I think from what I understand about the project, Dan Levi of Levi Architecture and um, Pam Ost, they, have you talked to both of those people so far? Yeah, they would. So you would be the, you'll be the third in the interview lineups. Gotcha. So I know like this, this project, uh, they call it the grand plan up there because it's on uh, Grand Ave in Charles City. Um, those guys have been working on this project for a couple of years now, and I was introduced to the project uh, back in July of 2021, so last year. And it was just something, since it was a daycare, I've done a daycare project up in uh, Waverly, Iowa. So I, I kind of understood how all the requirements, there's, there's a lot more different requirements as far as the state goes and just kind of working through that. I've been through it once before, so I had that background knowledge that I could use on this one, which I think is why... John, my boss, selected me to run this one or work on it at that point. And then, so once I got it, then it was just kind of all of us working together on it from, uh, from July, putting together budgets, um, making some revisions for cost and other things like that, and then eventually getting started on the construction piece of it too. So Dan and Pam were already started. Is that the typical... Uh, process of bringing a construction firm like yours into a project? Is there typically like an idea person and then they develop more of a plan and then you guys come in? Or is there, um, is there a standard for that process? It kind of depends on the project and who the owner is. They're in construction, commercial construction. There's typically four major ways that you can have a project started or contractually how all that works out. There's design bid build, which the owner and architect work together and they put together the plans up to hundred percent and then bid it out to multiple contractors to work on. Then there's construction managers, uh, construction manager at risk and construction manager as agent. Um, construction manager at risk, the only difference there is that the construction manager is able to work on the project, whereas agent the construction manager is just strictly there to oversee the project and make sure the process goes good. Then like the last one that I've done with on other projects is called design build. And that's when the owner and the contractor, so Woodruff has a person that is our business developer and he 
reaches out to uh, potential clients and talks to them about, hey, like, what are your needs? What are you looking to do? Uh, is there anything we can help you out with? In that scenario, it's design build where we will have the designer under our contract. This one was a little different. We went at it as uh, construction manager at risk um, is what it is since um, Dan and Pam were together to begin with. And then they brought us on a, a little bit later. But honestly, I think the way we've kind of seen it, it works out best. The earlier you can get your contractor on board, the better, um, just because, you know, you can solve a lot more things way early. One of the major things we ran into with this job was budgeting because, you know, going back to COVID too, and just the rise of cost of materials and labor and everything like that, this project was quite a bit over budget from what they originally thought it was going to be. So say... Dan and Pam didn't have the contractor in mind, I guess, when they were looking at the project, you know, this could have backed up another three, four months because they would have been that much further along without having that budget in mind. Um, so that's, that's where we come in earlier and give them the dollar amount per the design and get things worked out easier and uh, quicken that schedule essentially is what the, the main goal of that is. I think that's so important. And I hope the listeners were like, if they were multitasking while they were listening, I hope they heard that part that like, there are so many projects out there and so many people out there that you have this big vision and that's what motivates and drives you. And in your community, I'm sure listening, anybody out there, like you probably have ideas about buildings in particular that you want to see renovated or revitalized. But as we've been talking about week after week, the vision is just a component of getting this big thing accomplished bringing in all of those key players at an early phase, like you just suggested, Will, is critical because as we've heard in this TLC project over the last couple of weeks, like bringing everybody in so you could bid it, give them an accurate forecast of budget and timeline, like that really impacts this project in particular because there's fundraising involved. Mm -hmm. And when they have to do something like fundraise, like you have to plan the fundraisers and implement and then seek out grants and write grants and that waiting game on hearing back if you've won it or not. So having the key players of the leadership, the architect, and then you guys as the construction who can advise, like, it's just so important to have those key people in place so that you know the scope of what you're dealing with. Right. And I, I would say on a childcare uh, center makes it even more important because like it, from what I've understood of the last couple that I've done, I mean, a childcare facility really isn't it's more of like a community service than anything. So they're, they're pretty reliant on fundraising and community grants, state grants and everything like that. So like when, when the budget came back, that it was um, so much over budget from what we were able to come up with. It was, you know, a little bit, you could tell people were, I don't know how you want to say it, I guess, like probably just disappointed. Yeah. Almost like disappointed that they're like, ha, ah, I mean, like we, we've been working so hard on this project for the last couple of years and like, it would suck to really see it just get put to the ground now but then we we're able Pam's done a great job of just like finding all the grants she can and working with the state and other different entities and people and just uh, making sure that she can find the money to get this project done and just get the get the money I guess I mean that's just kind of what comes down to I'm glad you brought up the fact that this challenge about seeking out money and how it did disappoint people it really was like a thing for the community to feel because in previous week's episodes, both Pam and Dan echoed that childcare services in small towns 
are a community service. They are a driver of economic development. And so when you get something in place that has all of this promise and all of the things that it can do beyond just for the families directly involved, but for the community as a whole, like to have these hurdles and these challenges is really just like can take the wind out of your sails. Mm -hmm. Yep. And uh, I guess just to relate that to other communities in the state too. um, So this building that we're in currently for, uh, or building out, I guess, for TLC was an old high school and middle school in Charles City. And I know from back home, I know we've kind of seen the same thing where you have an old school building and there's really nothing you can do with it because the school doesn't necessarily want to put, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars or millions into renovating an old building. You might as well just build a new one and you know, have a whole mm-hmm. new place. But that still means that there's these old buildings that are sitting vacant. And that was one part of this project that I also really liked is just seeing like an old building like that. Super cool. Um, there's a 1930s section that we're not working in. But then the part that we are working in is 1970s-ish built, but it's still super neat to kind of see that old school building, which would have otherwise probably been torn down, get put back to use. And the school district has been a great part of that too, of, you know, working stuff out with TLC and just kind of making sure that everything is able to move forward as it, as it can. Um, I have a couple of questions about like, we can relate it to TLC, but I do think, like you said, there's people listening all over that can get a mental picture of these buildings in their communities. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's a school, maybe it's something else, but they have this building. So what are some of the things that you look for going into a job site, knowing that you're going to work on more of like an existing building reno? What are some things that you can tell our listeners to look for if they have this great idea, but they need to be aware of these particular things before they go and to the next step of the project? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would say one thing that's, really apparent and uh, pretty pretty well known as asbestos. Um, it's, it was a widely used product from like the 19, early 1900s to 1980, but it's known to be have a, have a negative effect in your lungs, cause mesothelioma and everything along with that. So you have to have an abatement contractor come in and remove it. Uh, we can't do that ourselves because that puts our people at risk. Um, so people come in depending on the product and the percent of asbestos in the material, um, let's say floor tile, for example, there's a, an asbestos abatement company that has to come in and do that work. Since it's such a high risk thing, the dollar amount on that type of work typically runs pretty heavy, um, which, you know, just something to have in your mind, I guess, as you're walking through it. And I guess if there's someone out there listening, that's looking at an older building and like, I know you were Molly, I guess, looking Mm -hmm. at one in Cascade, me and you kind of walk through it and stuff, but, you know, maybe just having a contractor with you and, or someone that knows what asbestos is and what it typically looks like that can kind of help you or maybe sway how you look at a building or a project or just the dollar amounts that you have associated with it. I would say that's a big one. And then the other one is probably just, you know, depending on the age of the building, there's just always potential problems. You never really know what you're going to get into when you open up a wall of an old building. It could just be some, some janky stuff in there, but Luckily on TLC, it was, the demo went pretty good and everything there was pretty great. Good. Yeah. So to tie into, there was a few years ago where there was a building that was up for sale in Cascade and with some like older buildings, like they have a lower dollar value on them. And so then it makes sense to stick more money into the renovation. But for some of these buildings, especially in areas where maybe property values are going up, where the building might have a higher price tag, you have to really have like a 
like a cost benefit analysis. Mm -hmm. And so it did help me so much to have you go through that and say, like, I had ideas and I was like, this could go here and this could be that, but I had no clue about how much it would cost. So it was so helpful to have you come in (coughs) and just give an estimate of like what I was even looking at ballpark wise. But then I know Mm -hmm. you told me too, like, this is what I can see from the outside. There's probably going to be more once we start ripping things out. And so I, I will echo that, like having somebody that you trust, a contractor to help you like say, is this vision feasible? And what else am I not thinking about? That can really help if you're thinking about tackling a big project. All right. So, Will, you've kind of alluded to this in other parts of the interview, but when we're looking at constructing a childcare center or a daycare center in particular, like Obviously, it's a little more complicated when you're doing a building reno, but even if it is a new build, there's a lot of things that are specific to childcare centers when you're in the construction process. So what are some of those things that you have to know when you go into a project like this? And then maybe tell us a little bit about the TLC project in particular that you had to account for in your planning. Okay. One big thing, I guess, that I see on the construction side is with uh, bathrooms and restrooms uh, for uh, for the kids, because they have to have a certain certain amount of adults or supervisors in the rooms. Um, so that means if you were to have a bathroom in the room for the kids and uh, you have a kid that needs to go to the bathroom, there needs to be an adult with them to uh, accompany them in the, in the restroom. The way we kind of look around that or get around that is to have half walls in a lot of the restrooms in the in each classroom, I should say. And then that way you can have a supervisor kind of looking over the kid that's um, going to the bathroom and then also have an eyes on kids that are um, just out in the space in general, which is one thing that's like you would never think about if you have never dealt with it before. I've ever seen it. That was like one of the first things that I noticed when I did my first child care project. And then also along with the bathrooms and restrooms is just like the toilet size and getting your grab bar heights right for ADA stuff. And it's like everything's so small. It's like a foot (laughs) off the ground for kids on like the littler, uh, like the twos and three year old rooms and stuff like that. So it's, it's kind of funny when you like see it for the first time. But uh, I guess other than that, there's just like some state requirements on proper ventilation and correct airflow and stuff like that. Like there's a big unit on the rooftop of TLC that is a direct outside air system. And then what that does is it takes air from the outside halfway conditions it and then sends it into the room. So that way it's like, you're getting fresh air through the building rather than recirculating inside air, inside air, inside air. And especially like with kids, you know, just, um, any kind of sicknesses, diseases that they might pick up and then bringing it into the common space of a child care center, having that direct outside air system really helps alleviate that and kind of keeps uh, fresh air circulating, like I said. That's interesting. When we were talking about like, obviously we've talked about in reference, Dan at Levi Architecture several times, Pam, who is the director at TLC. Were there other key players in this project that really helped you understand like not only the scope and the requirements of this project in particular, but were there other people that you can look at that are involved and you're like, they really have helped get this project to where it's at now. And they're helping us get it to completion in a few months. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I would say uh, first thing that comes to mind there is just the Charles city school district Uh, with them owning the building previously. I know 
Pam in the school district, I've kind of worked, worked out a couple of deals as far as like, uh, you know, lease, I think she's getting a pretty good deal on the lease of it. And then just kind of how the building is able to operate. Like, I still think TLC has access to the basketball gym that's right next door. There's some things going on there as far as like egress and being able to lock that gym. There's still a separation, I guess, as far as ownership, but the school district has been huge as far as allowing TLC to take the space and use some of the other parts of the building and that type of thing. And then obviously there's, there's a couple other people that have been early on with the TLC board members and stuff like that, that have uh, also been a great help. That's great to hear. And I like in your response, talking about thinking creatively and being open to just exploring opportunities. So like you alluded to with the basketball gym, like just because they don't necessarily own the space or down the road, maybe they will, but like having those conversations to open those doors and get creative about how we can utilize these spaces. And I know in Pam's episode, she also talked about in the design, they didn't just make a design that would suit the needs of the childcare center in particular. They were also thinking a little more globally for like, how can other people in the community utilize these spaces? So developing the commercial kitchen and thinking mm-hmm. about other things like that. So getting creative about the ways the space can be used and just opening those doors to conversations with the key players, like you referred to, it just really helps get everybody behind a project and have a little more buy-in. Yeah. Yeah. And I've, that's one other piece too, that I forgot about was that commercial kitchen that they're, um, that they're using or putting in. And it just goes back to the community involvement of the whole project. Like you can tell there's, I think everyone wanted to keep in Charles city. Everyone wanted to see this building put to use because I think there's just a lot of memories with it. Um, it's been in, like I said, it's been in service from 1930s till now or a few years ago, I think, but just the community, community involvement has just been huge on that one. Um, and it's just been really great to see. That's awesome. Um, well, what are some other projects with Woodruff? We've already referred to like that. We really child care center that you were involved with, but are there other projects throughout your, your long tenure with Woodruff <laughs> so far? Are there other projects that stick out and you're like, this one was really cool. I learned a lot, or this project was cool and it really benefited this community in this way. Yeah. Um, I guess one that really comes to mind as far as like my personal growth, you could say, we did a project for Marshalltown company, formerly Marshalltown travel company. They do a bunch of stuff now, but what that building was, was it was a 57,000 square foot addition to their space and just like a massive warehouse, a lot of concrete, big steel building and stuff like that. That was like my big first project or my first big project that I learned a lot on. And uh, that, that one was just really cool to kind of see through. We're just wrapping it up now. So that one's been really good just to kind of get a full big project under my belt. And then like we talked about that Waverly childcare one. And then other than that, there's, there's just been a couple of other projects that I ran when I was part-time, I guess, at Woodruff. And those of all, like every project you learn something new on, but as a full-time employee and getting into my own projects and stuff like that, it's been Marshalltown. And then this TLC one's been, been really cool too. Awesome. This was not on the prep question list. So you had to answer on the fly for this one. Well, right. um, so you're 23 years old and 
for some people listening, they might be like, wow, he's really young to have this role. And like Pam even told me off the record, she's like, he's just like so poised and like, he's very dependable and respectful and blah, blah, blah. So like sometimes people your age get a rap for like the opposite of all those Mm -hmm. qualities, but what would be like, is there anything that you can attribute like your work ethic or your personal growth to other than your sister, uh, to getting you to where you are today? And I guess I'm, let me rephrase that a little too, but like, what do you think credits you for being where you are today? I would say first and foremost, just family and my, our parents, I think they, they're always really specific on getting things done, I guess. Mm-hmm. Like it was never like a time <laughs> where you could just sit down and hang out. So like, like I said, um, you know, I got a job, like right when I got a car, it seemed like there, there was never a time where, Same. especially dad, <laughs> <laughs> dad made sure I had a job the whole time. So, um, yeah, I would say that. And then also just as a broader scope too, just having the town of Cascade to grow up in and stuff like that, you're always kind of held accountable as a teenager in a small town. You never really know who you're going to run into or who's going to catch you doing something. So you just better be always on your best behavior. But yeah, I would say in between those couple of things, it's, those are two, two main points. Awesome. Uh, well, is there anything else you want to share about, like, again, in this series, we're talking about like how big things can still happen in small communities. If you have vision, key players, and really a good plan to get you across the finish line. Is there anything else you want to touch on from your perspective in the construction industry? If somebody in a small town is thinking about tackling a big project? Yeah, I guess just in general, if anyone wants to reach out I'm always available, I guess. I'm on LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook. Um, You can probably search me on that and find me. Otherwise, just going out to uh, woodruff.build is our website and reaching out to Nate Schmidt is our business developer in the east half of the states. Like I said, uh, Waterloo and Iowa City. So we service the east half of the state. Um, I've had projects up in Decorah and I think our Iowa City office has gone down to Fairfield and Muscatine. Like we get pretty close down to the southern border and we'll go farther to service the east half of the state. Um, west half is Ames and Fort Dodge. And uh, his name is Josh Rasmussen. Um, he's out of the Ames office, but we'll service the, the west half. And I know we've gone up to like Spirit, Spirit Lake, Spencer up there. And um, I'm not really sure as far as southwest, I guess, that... Uh, Ames will go. I guess going back to your question on it, like I said, reaching out to us and then just kind of getting your contractor involved early uh, if you can. And just uh, getting that, I guess what we would call it is like a three-legged stool. Like you have your owner, your designer, your contractor. The sooner you can get that three-legged stool set, the better it is overall for everyone. So if somebody has an idea, can they just, they can reach out to your office and you'll kind of walk them through some preliminary things and then you'll decide where to go with the project from there? Yeah, so I guess what Woodruff does, someone reaches out to us, we have a roadmap that's called the Woodruff Way, and there's like a five-step process involved with that. And then like the first part of it is alignment, and that's where we get involved in, you know, just who are you, who are we, what can we help you with, what's your vision with your company, or, you know, what do you want to do to expand it or find a new facility? We can help you kind of walk through that process. And a lot of the times there's also choices that have to be made, like in that first little bit where, you know, think of it as like a triangle you have cost, quality, and schedule. Those are like your three 
different uh, points, I guess. And then uh, we have you guys like rank them as, as far as importance. But I guess going back to quality, I'm not really talking about, you know, providing a lesser quality work. I'm more referring to maybe it's a different product that is just less expensive and may not perform as well, or it might not work as well for your facility or operations or something like that. One quick example that comes to mind is like occupants sensors in rooms or bathrooms or something like that. Obviously, it's more cost to put a sensor in with um, that turns the lights on when you walk into the room. Otherwise, you know, you get us to do a standard switch. You know, just those types of things as far as quality goes. Um, that's what we categorize that in. And then the other two are pretty self-explanatory with cost and schedule. So if you're someone that needs to get this project done by, you know, say end of November, it's going to cost more and your quality to hit certain lead times might not be up to what it could have been if you had a little wanted. longer of a time frame. Yeah. Right. So those are, yeah, those are just a couple of things there that come to mind. Well, that's super helpful to at least give people something to go off of and give them a frame of reference so they can start start framing a little bit more around just taking their vision and putting it into real life. Mm-hmm. Okay. So we just have a couple of things to wrap up. Well, uh, let's hit one more time, how people can get in touch with your office. Should they want more information about Woodruff can help with. Okay. Um, so getting in touch with Woodruff in our office should just be able to Google search us. Otherwise our website is woodruff.build and From there, you can find our locations, whichever one's nearest to you, reach out and just uh, kind of explain yourself and what you're looking for, and then they'll get you in touch with the right people. Um, Each office has like an office assistant that um, can help direct you to what you need to do, all super helpful people. If you have specific questions, I guess, about me or the process I went through and anything helpful with that, uh, LinkedIn's a great uh, resource, I guess. Otherwise, my Instagram, it's... uh, private one. So just send me a DM, but it's McAllister <laughs> underscore will, but yeah, any of those ways are great to reach out and get more information if you need it. Awesome. And we'll make sure that we link to all of those in the show notes so that it's easy to click through in case there's like six will McAllister's mm-hmm. and we don't want them DMing the wrong private account. Yeah. Um, okay. So every guest interview ends with what we call the small talk around here. And these are questions I did not send you ahead of time. They are just ones that mom and I came up with and oh, wanted great. to have you answer on recording. Mom, <laughs> I can only imagine what she wants. I'm just kidding. Okay. All right. Question number one. Let's say that you're not at work. You are um, not getting reminders or questions about when this project is going to get done. You can just like unplug and do whatever Will wants. Yeah. What can we find you doing? Well, um, I bought a house last May right after I graduated. So I spend a lot of time renovating that, uh, bought up slightly fixer upper. So went through the kitchen and stuff like that. So I do a lot of work on the house. Um, otherwise there's a great, uh, biking trail system around the Cedar Valley up here. So that's always fun to do, uh, hiking trails, biking trails, anything like that. Other than that, just got, a uh, quite a few friends up here that stuck around after college. So we, uh, still hang out on the weekends and stuff like that and have a good time. Awesome. All right. Question number two, who is your favorite teacher in middle school and high school? Oh, that's a tough one. Hmm. <laughs> yeah. Poor so Will Molly, had to have me for a teacher two years in a row. Right. Right. 
Yeah, no, I don't know. That's a, is that a serious question? You want me to answer that one? Oh, and it doesn't have to be me. I was just kidding. But yeah, is there like a teacher that was influential? Um, I, I know I really liked having you as a teacher, which is kind of surprising to some people. But I was um, just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I would say other than that, we also, which I think is kind of a dying thing, but we had shop class at uh, Cascade and uh, Luke Pizarro was our teacher. I thought he always did a really good job and just kind of let us learn the tools and do that type of thing. But that was always like one of my favorite classes of the day. Um, that and then Mr. Curry too. He's always been a, a good influence for me. Or good oh, yeah. Mr. Curry was a PE teacher, but also Will was like a track star in high school. And so he was your track coach too. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Question number three, what is your favorite one-liner that dad says? <laughs> I think the classic, let's go if you're going. Oh, that's what I had in my head too. I I figured. (laughs) Yeah. All right. um, Let's just do a couple more. What is something on your bucket list for 2022? Hmm. I feel like one big thing that I've been wanting to do more of is just travel. There's a couple of places I want to hit. I think South Dakota would be a cool one to go to. And I just bought another dirt bike that is more like trail ready, I guess. So it'd be kind of fun to take something out there or even just go and explore that and just kind of hit up a couple other destinations and stuff. Um, I think that's on the bucket list. Other than that, um, I don't know, I guess. Maybe a jet ski. Jet skis would be fun. I I would look like a jet ski, but yeah. Anyone's out there selling. We can, yeah, maybe um, as part of the promotion for this episode, we'll put out a wanted ad. Wanted ad for a jet ski. For a jet ski. (laughs) Yep. Uh, okay. Last question. What is a piece of advice that you have for someone who is younger than yourself and thinking about a career and like you originally were thinking about something like civil engineering, you said, um, what would you advise them for figuring out what career path to take for themselves? I think one thing that I did wrong was just like put so much pressure on myself to get things figured out like way early in life. And then also, I don't know if it's just Cascade. I feel like it's a small town thing or just in general, community colleges kind of get a bad rap too. But I would say I was way too proud of myself almost, or like tried to be too proud to be going to community college. But like looking back on it, that's one thing that I wish I could have done differently is go to community college right away. Would have saved a bunch of money and a bunch of time. But it's also one of those things in my specific experience where I wouldn't have known I didn't want to do it unless I went through the bad part and the tough time to get through it and then come out where I am at now. So sometimes you just got to live through it and uh, see how it turns out. Yeah. Well, thank you for your time, Will. I appreciate you coming on and actually just introducing me to all the key players and to this project in and of itself, because I think this series is going to not only get people thinking, but maybe also get a lot of really cool projects accomplished. So Mm -hmm. thank you. Yep. Thank you. We'll see you later. Hey there. Thank you so much for tuning in to another edition of the small minded podcast, the place on the internet where we celebrate small towns, small businesses, and the people who love them. If you enjoyed this episode, we would be forever grateful to have a review of your experience over on iTunes, Spotify, our website, or wherever you tuned in today. And as always, we welcome you sharing this podcast with your friends and family on social. You can find us on Instagram and Facebook at Small Minded Podcast 
or at mollyknuthmedia.com slash podcast. Please go out, make today a good one. Take a small step towards a bigger impact. Here's to a life well-lived being small-minded.